0: Okay, we are back, and we are trying this. This is Doug LaMaurice with Bill Landis, and this is a post-game Buckeye talk. We're going to try to podcast after as many Ohio State games as possible. We're still in the press box at Indiana late on Thursday night after the Buckeyes' 49-21 win over the Hoosiers, Um, and we're going to get right to it. We're not going to go as long as we usually do, but we want to break down this game and get this out to you guys as fast as possible. Bill Landis, who would you start at running back Against Oklahoma next week, J.K. Dobbins or Mike Weber?
1: Oh boy, um I mean D- Dobbins. He's, he's, I do think Mike Weber's good. And Urban Meyer said after the game, you know, he's a heck of a back, and like was a little, I thought like defiant in that like Mike's gonna play, and I, I think that's true. J.K. Dobbins brings a different thing to, the, to this running game, man. He has the home run speed. Urban Meyer was like mad that his longest run was 35 yards because he knows there's more to it. He has speed. He's got good jukes. He's got. To, I asked Kevin Wilson about this jump cut that he, that he seems to have, and he said that's a pretty dynamic move. He just brings a lot to the table, pass catching. He caught a, caught a wheel route. I thought he looked really good at that, had a good block. I think he is just a more well-rounded running back than Mike Weber, who got hurt at a bad time. He injured his hamstring at the wrong time when J.K. Dobbins came in here, and I, he's not going to lose his job totally. He's still going to play, but I feel like Dobbins is the man now.
0: J.K. Dobbins, 29 carries, 181 yards, and here's what I think. 29 carries is too many for a true freshman who missed his senior year of high school with a knee injury he suffered in the first game. Um, J.K. Dobbins took a little bit to get going, I felt like, and I thought they missed Mike Weber a little bit, getting some of the four- and five-yard chunks early in the game, and their offense was stagnating in the first half a little bit, and I thought that was part of it that they weren't getting four and five yards on first down. They were maybe getting two or three. I think Mike Weber and J.K. Dobbins can potentially play off each other very well, that you hit Mike Weber at the heart of that defense and soften him up a little bit, and then you pop J.K. Dobbins in there. I would make J.K. Dobbins the lead back. If they're going to split carries, and obviously they're going to, I would maybe go 65% J.K. Dobbins, 35% Mike Weber. But I think we are setting up for a 1-2 running back punch here that will be better than either of them would be on their own.
1: I have a question for you. like wh- Having seen J.K. Dobbins now and no- knowing what you know of Mike Weber and seeing Curtis Samuel and Mike Weber together last year, like how different of a tandem type is this with Dobbins and Weber compared to Samuel and Weber last year?
0: I think it can be in its own way even better yeah. because Curtis Samuel – was everything last year, and we saw what he did basically by himself in the overtime against Michigan, but down in, down out, game in, game out, they did not use him all year like that. They used him. They saved him for the end of the year a little bit. We talked all year last season about, <clears throat> excuse me, are they? why aren't they giving the ball to Curtis Samuel Moore? They would not be in that situation here because J.K. Dobbins is a true tailback. Mike Weber is a true tailback. I think you can get in a situation where, and we had talked about this in the preseason, could it maybe be like, 17 carries for Mike Weber and 10 for JK Dobbins. I think it's the reverse of that. I think it's 18 to 20 for JK Dobbins and 8 to 12 for Mike Weber and I think that could look really good. Yeah, I
1: think last year too it wasn't so much a two running back system as it was like it changed kind of week to week who just who the tailback was and toward the end of the year it was way more Curtis Samuel than it was Mike Weber. It was never really never really felt like them working in tandem. Maybe aside from that long touchdown run Samuel had against Penn State where Weber was the lead blocker, and that was a hell of a play for them. And um, I actually, to see that now, Weber and J.K. Dobbins running that that lead sweep, it's going to be interesting. But this is much more, and I don't want to be hyperbolic, but last year after the Bowling Green game, Mike Weber compared himself and Curtis Samuel to Lendell White and Reggie Bush, which was insane, obviously. It was insane when he said it. It was insane in hindsight. This 1-2 running back punch I think can be pretty good. And it's not gonna be like it's not gonna be a Heisman Trophy winner and a guy who ran for thirteen hundred yards, um, but it might be like it's it's like someone's gonna win the Heisman. But this is I think this is a thing. This is a real weapon for Ohio State.
0: So just so you guys know, we're we're gonna hit you with a bunch of stories, uh, Friday morning. So make sure you come back at Cleveland.com. These night games sometimes it's hard to write at one o'clock in the morning because you guys are asleep or you're hopefully driving home and maybe listening to this. But Bill is gonna hit you with a J.K. Dobbins story, Friday morning and and. You need to be ready for this. Like, you just saw something that is the start of something. Urban Meyer was asked about, uh, someone said that you had said Ezekiel Elliott was the best practice player you saw, and Urban Meyer immediately jumped in and said, yeah, J.K. Dobbins is really close to that. This guy is a true freshman who has played one game in college. He broke the... Record, right? For, was it freshman single game overall or just first game for a freshman?
1: First game for a freshman. Yeah. Maurice Claret ran for 175 yards in 2002. So you
0: saw what Maurice Claret was at Ohio State before lots of other things derailed what could have been an amazing three year career here. Um, I don't think J.K. Dobbins is getting derailed. Most guys don't get derailed. You're going to see this guy play 36 to 40 games at Ohio State, and you just saw the first one, and it was that. And guys think there is more. So I think you guys know us by now that we are not hyperbolic comparatively to how often people speak about this team. That was something, and I think – this is the kind of thing that when Bill Landis is uh, 73 years old and long retired, some young whippersnapper working for uh, the Cleveland.com um, hologram is going to call up Bill Landis and say,
1: you were there the night J.K. Dobbins played his first game. What was it like? It was, it, it was something. It was, it, I'll, I want to say two things. Um, Indiana's defense is pretty good. I know people. that's not normal, but Tom Allen has done something with his defense to make it respectable. The, the the strength is on the back end, and we saw some of that, but I think to do this against this team is a real thing. It's not it's not uh, lying to us like maybe playing some other team would. And I also think that Mike Weber can make J.K. Dobbins better if he's not carrying it about 29 times a game. If he's carrying it 12 times a game and hitting those home runs that everyone was talking about, and Weber's doing a lot of sort of the yeoman's work and, and getting those three, four-yard pops – for as good as Dobbins was today, I think Weber makes them better moving forward. Okay, enough nice stuff. What went wrong, Bill Landis? When we were walking
0: down to the field uh, after the game, Bill Landis had a had a bug up his butt about the deep balls or lack of deep balls, and not, you know, I wrote my thing after the game about how all we all wondered, all off season, all preseason, can they throw it better? Can they throw it better? Can they throw it better? Did they throw it well enough tonight to make us think? Yeah, this team can win a national championship because. The lack of a passing offense won't derail them like it did against Clemson last year. First half, my answer was no. Second half, it wasn't the deep ball, but it was the other things they did, getting into Johnny Dixon and Paris Campbell in space. JT Barrett made a decent throw to Ben Victor uh, for a touchdown pass. Um, but Bill was talking about they didn't do what they said they were going to do. And then guess what? We got to the postgame press conference, and who said basically word for word the same things you were saying? Urban Meyer.
1: He gets paid a lot of money. Um, yeah, and I was I was like, actually, like kind of worked up about it. And it was just like, the thing they talked about all summer, and granted, we asked them a lot about it, so that's why they were talking about it. But it was their biggest problem last year. They couldn't throw the ball down the field. And they couldn't throw the ball down the field tonight against Indiana. They tried it a couple times. They weren't throwing shots all game. They actually didn't throw shots many shots as I thought they would. But aside from the ball that J.T. Barrett put in Paris Campbell's hands that was dropped in the end zone, I thought he was very inaccurate. He did not look like I thought he would look throwing the deep ball in this game. He was throwing like lofty touch passes that were just not where they were supposed to be. And I thought I don't I don't want to put the cart before the horse too much because it was one game. But I expected JT Barrett, with his deep ball, to be more accurate than he was today. I thought he was more accurate with the intermediate stuff, um, putting the ball in positions for guys to run after the catch, which is a big thing. Because I do think there's a, um, a bit of a fallacy about like explosive passing games, where people just equate that to throwing the ball down the field. And clearly, that doesn't have to be it. We saw it, I think, in spurts last year, and I wrote a story about it, because K.J. Hill had like a 35-yard reception. Um, I forget which game it was, but it was basically just like a slant that he turned into 35 yards. If Campbell Campbell's going to catch the ball five yards down the field and then run 70 yards for a touchdown, that's explosive passing offense. It's not throwing the ball down the field, but you can live with that. You just need to scare a team throwing the ball. But the explosive passing offense that we saw in the second half of this game was not what I thought it was going to be based on how they were talking all camp.
0: The team, that, especially in the first half, had the get after it, confident, 50-50 balls, let a guy make a play and watch him make a play. Passing offense was Indiana. Simi Cobbs is a man. 11 catches for 149 yards. He was the best receiver on the field, and it wasn't close. Ohio State at this moment does not have a guy like Simi Cobbs who is is six four. That is what Ben Victor in your dreams becomes, a big physical target who you can throw back shoulder, who you can throw some jump balls on the sidelines, who you can try a deep shot. He, They threw to him a million times, and he caught a lot of them. They don't have that right now. That was like a glaring difference of like, okay, Paris Campbell's fast, Johnny Dixon's fast. They don't have that. But the way Indiana – and Richard Lego, 40 of 65 for 410 yards, they were just getting the ball and throwing it, getting the ball and throwing it. They, he threw, and the thing that, that stuck out to me, and, and as you'll find by listening to us and knowing us, the things that we focus on are the things that we individually have written about. And it's like, hey, I wrote a story about that, and then it didn't come true. Now I'm personally offended. I wrote a story about how JT Bear is going to throw to covered receivers, and JT Bear is not going to be f- afraid of interceptions. Richard Lego Am I saying his name right?
1: Lego. Lego.
0: He's the Indiana quarterback. Richard Lego was throwing to covered receivers all night. Every throw he made practically was to a covered receiver. But it was either back shoulder and single coverage or just in a spot on the sideline where a guy could make a play or over the middle where a guy could make a play. JT Barrett was not throwing to a lot of covered receivers. He made a decent throw to Marcus Ball in the first quarter. That stood out to us as throwing in a window because it was so rare but but he just he didn 't he he looked in the first half again like he was waiting, waiting, waiting for someone to be wide open. It felt like Indiana they're running a lot of these quick routes three step drop quick route where a guy runs out and turns around, and when he turns around, the ball is hitting him in the hands. It still felt like ohio state 's passing game jt Barrett when Ohio State runs those routes jt Barrett waits for the guy to turn around and then he makes the throw and by the time you make the throw either the guy's covered and then jt doesn't throw it and he double pumps but they weren't just saying okay i'm going to have confidence in this receiver he's going to run his route it's going to be single coverage and i know ohio state plays 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 press man and maybe sets themselves up to be thrown on that in a different way than maybe indiana was but still I was looking at that and thinking to myself, that is a quarterback who's not afraid to throw to a covered receiver, and they completed a lot of passes with a defensive back right there. That's what I wanted to see from Ohio State, and it took until the second half when they started to do some other things and they hit some crossing routes that they tried one early to Paris Campbell and it worked, and then they they went away from it for a while. You loved that one in the first half to Paris Campbell. You were like, that's it, and then it kind of disappeared, and then they started hitting it again. It was like, yeah. Run! I don't need to run Paris Campbell 50 yards down the field. Run him on a crossing about 8 yards down the field. Let him catch an easy one and go.
1: Yeah, like, don't don't let him run and then hope the ball gets to him. Just give him the ball. Like, I would rather they honestly hand it off to him, bring back the jet sweep. Um, I have a question. Or maybe it's not a question, but a thought. So they seem pretty confident in the receivers in camp, and they seem very confident in J.T. Barrett throwing contested balls in camp. And I think the point you made about them playing – Man-to-man defense, and Indiana wasn't always playing man-to-man defense tonight, is, is a, a point well said. Is it possible that, at the moment at least, Ohio State's corners aren't that good? And because of that, they were feeling pretty good about the receivers when they should have been. That is a secret, awesome theory,
0: because, listen... Everyone thinks I saw a story on Twitter before the game tonight that was somebody, I think at NFL.com, saying Denzel Ward's better than Marshawn Lattimore. Marshawn Lattimore was the eleventh pick in the draft. It's like, okay, well show me Denzel Ward now. Denzel Ward had five pass breakups and an interception. Denzel Ward hung in like a champ. I guess we'll have to rewatch it. How many how many balls was he? Th- how many balls were thrown at him? I mean, Thirty
1: of the sixty-five. I would be confident in saying that at least twenty went Denzel Ward's way.
0: So you're not going to defend. Like there was a thing uh, when Indiana scored a touchdown. I think they, they were like in the red zone had first down. First down they threw into the end zone against Denzel Ward. He defended it. Second down they threw into the end zone against Denzel Ward. He defended it. Third down they threw into the end zone against Denzel Ward, and they caught a touchdown. And it's like, oh, well, Denzel Ward gave up a touchdown. It's like, well, he won two out of three, but guess what? When you're the defense, winning two out of three is not good enough. The offense just has to win one, and they get six points. So, I, I, you know, I sort of said, I tweeted something about, wow, Denzel Ward had five pass breakups, and he had a really nice pick at the end of the game. And people were like, yeah, but he got smoked a lot. It's like, well, listen, man, when you've got a quarterback who can put the ball somewhere, and you have some big physical receivers like that, and you're only 5'10", you're going to lose some of those. But he didn't get destroyed every play. It was really interesting to watch them go after him, but... The broader point that you made about, hey, maybe a lot of people in practice were beating these Ohio State corners, urban Meyer not happy with the corners, so he said Denzel Ward needs to play better, but there was a lot there's been a lot of talk, and we have contributed to this a lot of talk about Damon Arnett and Kendall Sheffield Denzel Ward is a, is a known quantity compared to those guys. Damon Arnett and Kendall Sheffield are talk at the moment not great
1: I, yeah not I, I, I think like. Ward's 5'10", and we talked about his height, and at a certain point that comes into play, and Simi Cobbs is a six foot four monster, and he's going to lose those battles probably more often than he wins them. I thought overall he was decent. Kendall Sheffield could not defend a back-shoulder comeback route to save his life tonight. Like, they were smoking him with it. And it wasn't just Cobbs. It was whoever they felt like putting on, on him, and he was having trouble covering Cobbs. It was other guys too. Um, and it's not to say, like, I'm not sitting here thinking, like, oh, they're screwed. Ohio State's not going to stop anybody this year. And it takes time to build up, and I get that. But, like, to sit there and camp and say, these guys are just as good as a group we had last year, maybe the potential is there, but they are not that yet. They're not close to that yet. And um, Ohio State's not going to face many teams, I think, that pressure the corners the way that Indiana did. But you know who is going to pressure the corners the way Indiana did? Oklahoma in nine days or whatever it is. So they got some things to clean up before that team comes to Columbus because Baker Mayfield will throw all over those dudes if they play the way they played the night.
0: It's going to be a good game. Um, all right, we're gonna. I, I want to ask you one more thing. If you follow us on Twitter, if you know us, if you listen to Buckeye Talk, by the way, we have an Instagram now. Can we tell people to go follow us on the Gram?
1: Yeah, it's just buck, at Buckeye Talk on Instagram. Is it? I think you do an at on Instagram. It's Buckeye Talk on Instagram. Find us.
0: We'll put up a picture of uh, Bill in his Winston box outfit. Hey, by the way, people of Buckeye Talk Land. We might have a sponsor. We might have someone who actually buys an ad. We can't give away any more information than that. But it's possible that this podcast will bring in money. It's Nike. (laughs) Okay, here's my question. First half, Ohio State ran 42 plays. JT Barrett ran five times of those 42 plays. J.K. Dobbins ran 15 times of those 42 plays. They threw it 21 times. JT Barrett did not run it enough early. I know that they say they want to run JT Barrett less this year. I know that we love to joke about third-down quarterback draws. Let me look now again. I want to look at their third-down conversions in the first half. Can I get that? Is that on here? I felt like they didn't convert very many. Oh, third-down conversions in the first half, 3 of 10. You know why it was 3 of 10? Because they didn't run. They were throwing. I felt like in the first half that they were trying to be – like, hey, we can. Th- it's third and three. We don't need to run our super effective quarterback. We can throw it. And it's like, let's throw a 24-yard route to Marcus Ball on third and three. It's like, what are you doing? Have you not watched this team for the last three years? Let JT run it. So we make fun of them when they do that. But guess what? We make fun of them, and it works. So he ran five times in the first half for 13 total yards. He ended up running eight times in the second half for 48 yards, so they did go to him more. They went to him on a scoring drive where um, he had a big run, I think, to set up something. He had a touchdown run. They, ra- they tried a quarterback draw the one series. They, I think they had first and goal at the 10. They threw two passes in the end zone that weren't close to being completed. Then they ran a draw on third and 10 and got eight yards. It was like, well, maybe you should have run the quarterback in the red zone before third down. I almost felt like it was like, hey, put the red zone quarterback in except the red zone quarterback wasn't, but they were trying to treat him like he was Cardale Jones. So listen, I know you've got to throw it, but you also cannot be like so adamant about throwing it. You're going to go away from the best part of this offense. And J.K. Dobbins is awesome, but what's going to be better for this team is when you have a compliment between the running back and the quarterback. And I think they have to run J.T. smarter more consistently more in the flow of the offense and it felt like he gave on a couple zone reads in the first half that I thought they were keep reads for him there was one in particular I I think Dobbins got one yard in the middle and the corner was wide open if he would have kept it do you think they're trying to run him less either a because they want to throw it or b because they want to protect him Or do you think it just sort of evolved that way, and they'll get back to using him as a runner more next week and in the weeks ahead?
1: I think it honestly played out the way it's always played out. They come in with a plan. The plan is to throw the ball and get JT in a rhythm. That plan doesn't work, and when the game's tight in the second half, you run JT. And he didn't run it like last – if they were in this game last year, JT would have run the ball 20 times in the second half. No doubt. He ran it eight times, and I thought he he was smart when he decided to run it. I thought they were smart when they called it, and it was effective. Um but, yeah, maybe there was a little bit of we want to show you this guy can can spin it and we're not going to call the QB run as much. And then and I I, I wanted to ask Kevin Wilson about it, and I didn't get a chance that so we got Kevin Wilson for like three and a half minutes after the game and everyone would talk about J.K. Dobbins. But I wonder what that conversation was like. Like, hey, Kevin, I know you've never had a guy like J.T. before, but start using him running the ball because it's the best part of his game. And it was our entire offense last season when we made the college football playoff. Um so I think they'll run him more moving forward. They just can't fall into the trap or the safety net, whatever it is that Meyer calls it. Of like You have JT, you have Mike Weber, you have J.K. Dobbins, let's run the ball 90 times a game and, and not be a, a dynamic throwing offense. Because I think that's an easy trap to fall into when you have three guys who are that good at it.
0: And, I, but it, um, and conversely, it's also an easy trap to fall into of like, darn it, we're going to throw it even when it doesn't make sense. It's just about and, – and again, it's the first game for Kevin, off, Kevin Wilson running this offense. It's different to game plan – and adjust in the flow of a game. He's been doing this for a long time, but he hasn't done it with these guys. He hasn't done it in the Urban Meyer offense. He hasn't done it with a quarterback exactly like JT. Um, It was a little bit of a feeling-out process, I feel like, for them to figure out what they have. They know they have something in J.K. Dobbins now. And here's the thing, again. They need to run JT more in the flow. And now they have two tailbacks. So our dreams of a passing offense may have been snuffed out by a team that is probably going to run its way to national championship contention and throw it enough, and throw it effectively enough so that that's not a glaring hole or a glaring weakness. Bill, final question, and we'll let our loyal Buckeye Talk podcast listeners out of here after this one. Watching that Ohio State team tonight, does that team look to you like a team that, I'm not asking you, will... And we made our picks before the season, but you gather information with every game. Does that look like a team that can legitimately win a national championship?
1: Yeah, yeah, I think so. It's. I was hoping that from this game I would either be able to say no, like definitive no, not yet, or definitive yes. And I'm like I'm somewhere in the middle, to be completely honest. But I'll hedge more towards yes because I thought in the end they threw it effectively enough, like you said to be a not-so-one-dimensional offense, which is what you need to be to win a championship. I think the defense is going to be fine. The defensive line was, I thought, incredible tonight. Linebackers, I thought, were pretty good. Corners have some stuff to work through, but it's a long season. So, yes, to give you a long answer, yes.
0: Not every team has guys like Paris Campbell and Johnny Dixon that can take those, those intermediate short passes and explode like that into a secondary and be gone. They made some other guys made some nice blocks. On some of those, I think Terry McLaurin made a nice block on the Paris Campbell touchdown. They do that well. We talk about Ohio State blocking. When Ohio State's good in the pass game, we talk about Ohio State blocking. So, like, and it's not just sometimes we end up only talking about the receivers blocking in the run game. When they are throwing it well and throwing it and making it explosive plays like that tonight, that's short things two explosive fast players and other guys blocking like crazy and that is really what they're going to do best i think yes they're a national championship contender i think yes they could lose to oklahoma next week and i do not think those two things are mutually exclusive i think both can be true i want to see oklahoma utep on saturday very badly baker mayfield oh, i was saying it the reverse mayfield baker touchdown maker could be a real thing next Saturday in the horseshoe. Kendall Sheffield and Damon Arnett are not going to magically turn into Garyon Conley and Marshawn Lattimore overnight. I think Lincoln Riley watched that tonight. They're not, I don't think Oklahoma's going to throw it 65 times next week. I don't think they're going to throw everything. They're not going to throw everything on a three-step drop and get it out of Baker Mayfield's hands because Oklahoma wants it in Baker Mayfield's hands to make some magic. But I think watching the overall performance of that secondary Oklahoma, I think Baker Mayfield and Lincoln Riley, if I'm guessing, baked some brownies, had some cold glasses of milk, sat on uh, the love seat in Lincoln Riley's living room, had like a wooden coffee table, put their feet up. I think Baker Mayfield probably wore flip-flops over, left his flip-flops just at the front door. Um, right under the spot where in the little bowl where Lincoln Riley puts his keys when he comes home and then there's like a little end table and he asked Baker Mayfield to slide his flip-flops under that end table and then they walked in um, got the brownies got the milk probably had a little fight over who holds the remote control and then watched that game and looked at each other and said yeah we can do something with that do you think they had brownies or oatmeal cookies
1: Uh, chocolate chip cookies
0: I don't like chocolate chip cookies. I had three really good oat. I had three very good oatmeal cookies in the press box here today. <laughs> chocolate is overrated in cookies, yes or no?
1: No. No, that's the most absurd thing I've ever heard in my life.
0: Chocolate overwhelms the other flavors in a cookie too often. I love a good oatmeal flavor and chocolate chip oatmeal is ridiculous. That,
1: like, oatmeal. Some people feed oatmeal to their children as a punishment.
0: I also enjoy eating oatmeal in the morning. Listen, this sounds like a normal Buckeye Talk conversation. Again, this is the post-game Buckeye Talk. We're going to try to do it after every game if we can. We appreciate you guys listening. Um, so this is – this is now, listen, we said we were going to give you one on Friday, right? Because we didn't do one on Wednesday this week because we knew the game was coming. So this is it, right? This is it? This is it. So this is it. This will get you through till next Wednesday, and then we're going to drop – that Ohio State Oklahoma bomb on you guys. And that's going to be a big, meaty, hearty, delicious oatmeal, f- <laughs>
1: oatmeal cookie
0: oatmeal cookie of a podcast. And um, we appreciate you guys listening. He's Bill Landis. I'm Doug Lee Maurice. Tim Bielik here with us cranking out some other stuff for you guys at Cleveland.com. Please go there and read because it really would be a ridiculous scenario where we had a lot of podcast listeners and nobody read our stories. And then we were fired. And let me tell you, we may do this podcast with no ads on it for now. That will hopefully soon change. But if I get fired, I'm not going to keep doing it. I might. Okay. He's Bill. I'm Doug. Thanks for listening. Ohio State beats Indiana. 49-21. Number two team in the country. Moves on. 1-0. and Urban Meyer now 62-6. and The head coach of the Ohio State Buckeyes. And that was Buckeye Talk.